0: here this morning. Uh, We're going to be continuing on in our series through the book of Acts. For the better part of 2018, uh, we will be moving through the book of Acts. Um, Over the next couple of months, specifically, uh, or the next few weeks, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 uh, and talking about Pentecost and talking about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit to enable Uh, God's people to accomplish God's purposes, and the way we see that play out in the book of Acts. Here at Redemption Church, we believe that the Bible is God's word, that it is important for our life, that it is authoritative, and so we will be moving through Acts, uh, examining it in detail, talking about all those things. Uh, But this morning, before I get started and before I move um, into Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, which is very specifically what we'll be talking about today. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't take just a moment and acknowledge uh, the holiday that our nation will be celebrating tomorrow. As we move through the book of Acts, there will be lots of time for us to uh, sort of dive into some things that are happening uh, in our nation, in our society today. But we would be remiss to not just take a moment and, and recognize that tomorrow our nation celebrates uh, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the women and men who um, fought with Dr. King against injustice, uh, for righteousness, um, for goodness, for mercy, and fighting with the truth of scripture on their side. If we look at Isaiah chapter 10, I'll just read this real quickly, Isaiah chapter 10 verses 1 through 2. Says this, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Right, collectively, as a nation, we really need to acknowledge that there is a legacy, there is a history of creating laws and systems and structures that intentionally impressed some for the benefit of others, right? And it should be self-evident from the scripture that I just read, from the movement led by Dr. King, the men and women with him, that his legacy still matters because oppression still exists, because injustice still exists, because evil still exists. There are those in our nation Even in the highest positions of authority, who would willingly be unjust for the sake of maintaining power and position, right? Just this past week, and I have to say this, I I hate that this even has to be said, but just this past week we heard our president say that we would be better off to bring more people to the U.S. from Northern Europe than from Haiti and Africa, right? And those words will influence policies, And those words will lead to injustice by some against others. And it's shameful that that's where we are. And so I pray that even as we are examining the work of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts, as we are examining the book of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the very first believers, that we would look at our own hearts, that we would look at our own minds, that God would open our eyes to evil, and to sin, and instead lead us to pursue justice, and righteousness, and mercy, in light of the gospel, because that's what the gospel of Jesus would have us pursue. May we be a people who leave a legacy of fighting for the gospel, rather than fighting for power, and prominence, and a seat at the table of power. Let's pray. We'll move on through the book of Acts. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can be rightly related to you. Thank you that because of Jesus, one day you will set all things right. One day you will make things as they should be. That Jesus will redeem the world to himself. That Jesus will bring peace. God, we look forward to that day. God, this morning as we look at the book of Acts, as we look at your promise of the Holy Spirit, as we look at the way that you were faithful to your people. God, I pray that in the midst of all of that, that Jesus would be lifted high and worshiped in this place and that we would be brought to you because of Christ and because of Christ alone. God, I pray those of us who need to to come to Jesus in repentance and in faith, you would you would do that for those of us who need to come to Jesus for the first time. God, make us aware of what Jesus has done for us and and how he's made a way for us to be right with you. God, I pray over the next few minutes as I speak that you would use me as an instrument of grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, that your words would be proclaimed and not mine. God, I recognize that my words are of little importance. But God, your words are of utmost importance, and so God, I I pray that we would hear from you, that Jesus would be lifted high, and that we would hear from you, and God, I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, if you have your Bibles and want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, I think they'll probably be on the screen as well. Uh, I'm going to take a moment and read through all these verses. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. And all his bowels gushed out and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven disciples. In this passage, we essentially see three things. Um, The disciples and a group of people, a group of men and women, uh, have been with Jesus when he ascended into heaven. They return to Jerusalem, to the upper room. It might be the upper room where uh, the Last Supper took place. It might have been another upper room. We don't really know. They return there. They get back. They're spending some time praying as they wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then Peter stands up, And he addresses the death of Judas and the replacement of Judas by Matthias. That's what happens in this passage. As we get ready to move through this passage, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been an eyewitness to something that caused you to run and tell somebody else What happened where you saw something incredible, where you saw something out of the ordinary and you just couldn't wait to tell someone else? Have you been an eyewitness to a life-changing experience? Have you had a near-death experience that caused you to run and tell everybody about the crazy thing that just happened to you? And I think about eyewitnesses. I think about my kids when they were little and they would run and tell on one another Hey, Natalie did this. Hey, Laurel did this. I was an eyewitness to their bad behavior, whatever it might be. But on a different level, Acts is a story. It's an eyewitness story to the Holy Spirit working through God's people to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth like Jesus said it would at the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, 8. And this morning... We pick up in between Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit so that God's people could be his witnesses and the actual arrival of the Holy Spirit to empower that proclamation of the gospel. And what we see in this passage, I think, are two types of faithfulness. One, the disciples and these men and women who are with the disciples are staying put and waiting And praying, and they're demonstrating faithfulness in that staying and that praying. And then in the second part of this passage, Peter testifies to the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, to the faithfulness of God, to do what God had promised he was going to do. Let me read verses 12 through 14 again. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. That's about a little over half a mile. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying in a list of the disciples minus Judas. And it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Right? They've heard Jesus say wait. They've traveled back to Jerusalem. They're in an upper room and they're waiting. And as they're waiting. They're praying. 120 men and women. Maybe they're all gathered in the upper room. Maybe that's just the number of everybody in that first early church. And they're gathered together with the singular purpose of waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had given them. And their obedience to stay put, just like Jesus told them to do, I think, actually demonstrates that they believe, it demonstrates their faith that Jesus is going to come through and deliver on the promise that he gave them. That's why they're waiting. They could have gone back to their normal way of life. It would have been hard because they had spent so much time with Jesus. But they didn't. They're staying put and waiting. They're being obedient. And I think that demonstrates that they actually believe Jesus is going to do what he said. He's actually going to send the Holy Spirit, and that they're actually going to be witnesses to the end of the earth. That's why they're waiting. (coughs) Excuse me, we'll get to this in a minute, but that's also one of the reasons I believe that the disciples say we have to uh, identify another apostle, we have to replace Judas, because we need uh, another person to be a witness, an official witness to Jesus' resurrection. But the fact that they're staying, right? The fact that they're waiting, the fact that they're praying, the fact that they're identifying the witnesses to the resurrection, I think it actually implies that they really believe that they're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They really believe it. 120 people in an upper room actually believe they are going to accomplish what Jesus said. Think of the audacity And the boldness of that belief that 120 men and women in an upper room and an outpost of the Roman Empire, right? This isn't, they're they're not in New York City, they're in Topeka, Kansas, right? They're not politicians, they're not wealthy people, they're outsiders, they're in Jerusalem, they're not major players, and they actually think when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, we're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and so we're going to wait here. Until Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, right? That baffles me. The audacity to believe that they could take on the world and have the gospel spread to the ends of the earth baffles me. They had the audacity to simply wait. And while they're waiting, they're praying, right? To simply wait and pray. And I I think it was probably natural for them to pray, though, because they had been around Jesus And if you read through the Gospels, Jesus lived a life of prayer. Jesus modeled a life of prayer. And so it was Jesus who taught them to pray. It was Jesus who they learned to pray from. Right? And when you look through the Gospels, Jesus is always praying. He's praying alone. He's praying when he's in crowds. He's praying on boats. He's praying in gardens. He's praying in cities. He's praying on mountains. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's praying And the disciples and this group of men and women with them had learned that from Jesus. These men and women had been around Jesus so much that it was probably just normal for them to go to God in prayer. Prayer had become from them not just some discipline, not just something they schedule on their calendar. It had become a way of life. And and the reason we know that is the way it plays out through the rest of the book of Acts. they are always praying in the book of Acts. They're praying while they're waiting. They're praying for God to choose leaders. They're praying for boldness and wisdom. They're praying for the people that are persecuting them. They're praying for the people who are being persecuted. They're praying to be healed. They're praying to raise people from the dead. They're praying for people to be set free from prison. They're praying for everything in the book of Acts, right? And we could go on and on and on and talk about everything they prayed about. That's a whole study in and of itself, But they're praying because they learned it from Jesus. And one step further, I think they are praying because they knew that their faithfulness in prayer, that their prayer was the means by which God would pour out his grace on the people around them. As you read this book, they're praying all the time. And I think it's because they realize that their prayers mattered. Their prayers mattered. If you take a look at your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, if you have one, there are a couple of prayers that we've listed that Redemption Church is going to be praying through this year. Let me uh, go over them for a second. We're praying that doors would be open for people to hear the gospel in downtown Augusta. We are praying that we would be a unified body of believers representative of the diversities of our community. We're praying that church planters and missionaries with both the Alliance, the the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Acts 29 around the globe would see doors open for the gospel. We're praying specifically for Paul and Lindsay Murphy as they've left our congregation to go to Egypt. We're praying that God would provide for Redemption Church with people and finances to see the gospel advance in our community, right, may we be a group of people like the early church, the first documented early church here in Acts, a community of faith of one accord, united around Jesus, praying, waiting for God to come through, (coughs) knowing that prayers still matter. Look again at that second prayer that we're praying this year that we would be a unified body of believers representative of the diversities of our community. I think it's especially pertinent, considering the holiday that is upon us tomorrow, the state of our society, that we pray this prayer. It's pertinent as well because our city, the city where God has placed us, the city of Augusta, our city is not made up of just white middle-class Christians our city is far more diverse than that and just like our nation our city is divided and fraction fractured and there is tension and there is conflict and I am reminded in the midst of this tension and conflict that our prayers for unity in the midst of diversity still matter They matter because unity around Christ doesn't exist. They matter because injustice and sin still lives in our city. Evil is still here. And it will be here until Christ returns again. And so what would it look like if we, as a group of people, as a church, as a body of faith, like this first church in Acts, what would it look like? If we had faith that our prayers for unity and diversity actually have the potential to change things in our city for the better because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would it look like? How much will we be praying? How would we be praying? How important those prayers would be to us. If our prayers, our prayers to an almighty God, our prayers to an almighty God, that those prayers would be the means by which God pours out his grace on our city so that we become a people in this body and even in this city who beautifully represent the kingdom of God together, united around Christ and beautiful in our diversity. If you don't like this idea of unity in the midst of diversity, let me go ahead and tell you that you're not going to like the kingdom that Jesus comes back and sets up when he returns. Because it's going to look something like what John saw in the 7th chapter of Revelation. Let me read it to you. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have the good fortune at Redemption Church, of being a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, a denomination that recognizes that Christ's kingdom is incredibly diverse. In the United States, there are about 2,000 Alliance churches and about 500,000 Alliance church members. This past year, I heard that from a worldwide perspective, there are six other countries in the world with a larger amount of Alliance church members than exists in the U.S. We're number seven. We are a part of a church movement, a domination that is global, and that is diverse, and that is united around Christ, and that is seeing the gospel advance in ways that we could only imagine. May that be true of us at Redemption Church in Augusta, Georgia, as well. Right Here's ultimately what I want us to see from these first few verses. The very first believers, and the very... First documented church in the book of Acts, they were waiting on Jesus to deliver the promise of the Holy Spirit. And while they were waiting, they were praying. Here at Redemption, we are waiting on God to pour out His Spirit on our city, that lives would be changed, that the gospel would advance, that people would come to Christ, and that disciples would be made who make disciples who make disciples that we would be united around Christ rather than fractured around differences. And while we wait for God to pour out His Spirit on our city, let's be faithful to Christ by being a people of prayer. Luckily, we know that in the rest of Acts, God did send His Holy Spirit to empower His people. Our prayers would be pointless if they were prayed to anyone other than, our, than to our faithful God. But our God is faithful, and I think that's what the rest of Acts chapter 1 is about. This first part that we looked at this morning, the disciples are faithful to wait and stay, these men and women that are with them. In the second part of the verses that we're looking at, it's really about God being faithful to his promises. I've shared this story with you before, uh, but I'll share it again because I couldn't think of a better illustration. Um, Essentially, what we're going to see in a second is that Peter stands up and he says, all that has happened with Judas and why we need to get a replacement for Judas. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) All of this that has happened... It was promised by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit is bringing to fruition his plan. I've shared the story with you. Like I said, when I was growing up, I had a couple of older siblings. My dad had a motorcycle, and every so often, uh, my dad would make the statement um, that he was going to take us to Dairy Queen to get a chocolate milkshake, and like there was no greater joy to me in life than going to get uh, a chocolate milkshake. I was what you would call a husky kid. And so um, chocolate milk. well, I'm still kind of a husky kid, but um, chocolate milkshakes were, were my joy. And every so often my dad would say, we're going to go to Dairy Queen and get a milkshake. I had two older siblings, um, and so I was always the last one to be taken on the motorcycle to get a milkshake. So I had to wait and watch my dad leave with my older sister, And come back. And then leave with my older brother and come back. And then finally, I got to go to Dairy Queen, get my chocolate milkshake. I knew that I was going to get my chocolate milkshake. But I had to wait for that promise to come to fruition. And that's sort of what we see here in the rest of Acts chapter 1. A promise years before that the Holy Spirit was going to bring about his plan. And Peter explaining how that plan is playing out. Right? In, in verses 15 through 16, Peter addresses the death of Judas and the replacement of Judas. And the key to everything that follows in those verses comes in verse 16. If you look at verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Right? Peter is saying... The Holy Spirit, through the words of David hundreds of years before, had already spoken to God's people what was going to happen. The Holy Spirit had already let his plan be known. It was David who spoke it. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired David to speak about it. And the scriptures where David spoke about these things are now being fulfilled and explained by Peter. So in verse 20... Peter references the scriptures that he believes are being fulfilled when Peter uh, references two passages from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms, and he says, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and then let another take his office. Two different passages from the book of Psalms. The first half of verse 20, where Peter says may his camp become, de- may his camp become desolate, is a quote from Psalm 69:25. And that is ultimately fulfilled in how Judas died and purchased a field by his blood money. And that field became a desolate, desolate field of blood. We know from the book of Matthew uh, that Judas hung himself. So we don't really know how Judas's body uh, ended up in this field torn apart. But it did. And we don't really know how this money that Judas was given for betraying, Jesus ended up paying for this field, but it did. And so Judas's body is torn open in this field, and it's a field of death. And Peter says that's the fulfillment of Psalm 69, 25. He goes on, in the second half of verse 20, let another take his office, is a quote from Psalm 109, verse 8. And that word is fulfilled in the way that Judas is replaced by Matthias, described in verses 21 through 26, right? They set out some qualifications for a replacement. They said, we need a witness who has been with us from the very beginning, who was a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They had two people, evidently, that met those qualifications. And then they trusted Jesus to identify who was going to be a replacement to Judas. They were... Uh, still waiting on the Holy Spirit. And the way that they go about uh, deciding Judas' replacement, uh, that's not meant to be normative. They cast lots in order for Jesus to identify Judas's replacement. I, I would say that's not how we should do things. But in some way, they're actually demonstrating faith that Jesus is going to identify who the replacement to Judas should be. Right? That's what's happening in the rest of this passage. Peter says the death of Judas... And the replacement of Judas, that is all the Holy Spirit working out his plan. David talked about it. These are the verses that it fulfills. From a bigger picture perspective, Peter is essentially saying that all of this stuff that is happening is being carried along by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Holy Spirit's plan, just like David said it would. Right, And in this story, I think probably what we should see is the invincible purpose of the Holy Spirit to bring about what the Holy Spirit said is going to happen. God wants us, I believe, to see that when the Holy Spirit says something, it will come to fruition, even if it takes a thousand years. Right, this passage was written, these passages were written in the Old Testament that Peter references. Peter recognizes it. Peter points to the Holy Spirit and says, the Holy Spirit is bringing about what he promised, right? You see this invincible purpose most clearly in verse 16 when Peter says, had to. Scripture, this had to. The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand, right? How can Peter say that it had to be fulfilled? Why did it have to be fulfilled, right? Isn't life full of contingencies? Isn't life open-ended? Aren't we free to make all of life, all of our choices that we want, and God has to adjust to our plans? How can he say it had to be, right? And there's only one answer. Either Peter's wrong or the alternative is is The purpose of the Holy Spirit expressed in Scripture is invincible, unconquerable, indomitable, supreme, and in- omnipotent. And I believe it's the last. The purpose of the Holy Spirit will come to pass. Right? I-, I find the placement of this story, the beginning of Acts, is a little odd if I'm honest. Right? It-, it carries the story along, but it's sort of sandwiched in between a promise that the Holy Spirit is coming... And then the fulfillment of that promise at Pentecost. It's, it's, it's sandwiched in between those two things. Right? So, so why did God, why did the Holy Spirit decide to place this story right here in the book of Acts through Luke the writer? Why use the story about the death of Judas and the replacement of Judas by Matthias to illustrate that the purposes of the Holy Spirit will come to pass? And here's where I land on that. This is kind of all I've got. I think the reason is that it's not hard to believe that God's purposes are invincible when things are going well for God's people. But when things go bad, when there's lying, when there's deceit, when there's mistrust and betrayal and death, then we need all the help we can to believe that God's purposes are invincible and omnipotent. And that's what Luke gives us. Not even Judas and Satan himself can get in the way of what God is doing. Why is the replacement of Judas's? why why is somebody to replace Judas so crucial to the purposes of the Holy Spirit? And even more specifically, why did this replacement have to be someone who had been with Jesus all along and, and and been a witness to the resurrection? And again, I think the text shows us that part of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to empower God's people to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. And if that's God's purposes, then it will come to fruition. The purposes of the Holy Spirit will not be conquered. And part of his purpose is to ensure that the gospel advances to the ends of the earth just like Jesus said it would. Through his witnesses, through Matthias. In Acts chapter 1, after we've seen that God's people demonstrated their faith and their belief that they were actually going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth by waiting and by praying. As they're waiting and praying. In Acts chapter 1, we were reminded of God's faithfulness that the purposes of the Holy Spirit will come to pass. That the unflinching will of God through the Holy Spirit will come to pass. And so if we see these things, where does that leave us this morning? The idea that ties this whole story together is this idea of faithfulness and this idea of being a witness. If this story is telling us about the faithfulness of the early church and the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises and the faithfulness of God to turn his people into his witnesses, What should we hear from this story this morning? I believe what God is trying to speak to us this morning through the book of Acts has something at least to do with us being faithful to pray and to stay put right where God has placed us. As a congregation, as a whole, God has placed us in downtown Augusta to be a blessing to our community, that the gospel would go forth, that lives would be changed, that beginning in downtown Augusta and moving beyond, this church would be a blessing to the city through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe where it leaves us is that God would use our prayers as a means to pour out His grace on our city inasmuch as He calls us to be His witnesses to a broken city, even as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Maybe God is calling us to be more fully invested exactly where He has placed us as a church, as missional communities, to be fully invested where He has placed us, praying for our city, praying for for those who are a part of our lives regularly for our missional communities for our entire church right maybe what we need to hear this morning is let's invest fully right where God has placed us let's pray fervently right where God has placed us waiting for God to pour out his spirit on our city in such a way that lives are changed so that the gospel is proclaimed that people would come to know Christ The people would become disciples who make disciples. And not only that, specifically as we dive into these prayers that we believe we should be praying this year, as we dive into these, specifically the prayer I mentioned this morning, the prayer of unity and diversity, right? Let's lean into that a little bit. Let's be willing to be compassionate and willing to listen rather than assuming that we're always right and our way is the only way. Let's pursue relationship and proximity. Let's fight for justice, and let's pray that God would bring healing and unity in the midst of diversity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do that? Let's get on board with that. We're going to move into a time of response, and Every Sunday here at Redemption, we have a time of response. It's a a time for us to respond to what God has called us to, to what God has laid out uh, to our hearts and minds through the work of the Holy Spirit as we've heard uh, God's word proclaimed, as we've prayed together, sung together. Um, That's what this time is. During this time, the band's going to come back up and continue to lead us in some songs, give us the opportunity to worship through singing. Uh, We also have the opportunity during this time to continue to worship by giving. There's a giving basket in the back where you can put your tithes and offerings as an act of worship. There's an opportunity for us to stay right where we're at. To pray, to reflect, to um, maybe deal with whatever it is that God is asking us to deal with this morning. We also have an opportunity to take communion. Uh, When we take communion, this is why we do it. We take communion in order to remember what Christ has done for us and to proclaim to one another that we believe it, to remember the truth of the gospel and proclaim to one another that we believe it. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member of this church or not, I would invite you to um, come down the middle aisle here, go to either side, tear off the bread, dip it in the wine or juice, So remember the body of Christ that was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, um, recognizing that we are remembering and that we are proclaiming what Christ has done. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll continue on from there. Holy Father, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. God, thank you for the reminder from your word that you do what you say you're going to do. God, we see that over and over. Through uh, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, you, you did exactly for us what you said you would do. God, even now as we respond to your word, even now as we respond to what you're speaking to us, what you're leading us to, God, I pray that Jesus would continue to be lifted high And that we would be drawn to you because of Christ and because of Christ alone. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would still be at work in our hearts and minds to draw us to you. God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.